0: Well, here we go, huh? Happy birth anniversary. Uh, whatever it is, happy birthday. Today we are celebrating uh, who we are, where we've come from, and where God is leading us to. So I am really excited. I'm excited today to celebrate Arbor as we go forward with God. And I tell you what, I'm, I'm thrilled that God has you here for such a time as this. I really am. In fact, I think that if you are here today, you are probably one in a hundred. You're probably one in a hundred. That makes you pretty special, doesn't it? If you're one in a hundred, I'm saying that's special. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you are one in a hundred. Go ahead. Come on. Come on. Do it. Nice and loud. Yeah. 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 You know what? Each, each one of us in Arbor is like us. Arbor is like us in this. It's no different than, than we are personally. We are the sum total of our experiences and our beliefs, right? And so each birthday that we have, we are the sum total again of our experiences and our beliefs. So each birthday, we are actually a new person, right? We have new experiences. We have new beliefs that we are taking into our life. And, and then we had even in the year before. And on a birthday, we want to remember where we came from, who we are, and where we are going. So I thought, you know what, we ought to do that with Arbor a minute. We ought to just kind of remind ourselves for a second of where we come from and where we are going. We call that our mission, and our mission is this. It's people helping people find and follow Jesus. Would you say that with me, please? People helping people find and follow Jesus. If you're a person helping people find and follow Jesus, what does the Bible call that? What's what's the? A disciple. A disciple. That's kind of a Christian word for it, is a disciple. And so that's why our, our tagline is making disciples together. Say that with me, making disciples together. That's actually people helping people find and follow Jesus. When we do that, we believe that as we carry that out as a body of Christ, as we make a difference in people's lives, we'll begin to see a change even in the community and the people around us. It's our vision. It's what we want to see as our vision. So would you read what our vision is with me as soon as it comes up on the screen? Here we go. Ready? Go. Seeing our lives Communities and a hurting world transformed as we walk with Jesus, become like Him, and do what He did together. Yeah. And we anyway, said, so okay, if you do that, if, you, if that's what we're doing together, where people. Uh, helping people find and follow Jesus and we're, we're making disciples together, we're caring about that, then we will have certain values that we'll have, that we'll demonstrate, that we'll exhibit in our life. And we talked about them last year. We went through actually all five values. We said Arbor has really good looking legs with two G's because that's the acronym for our values. If you were here last year, you remember that. So here's what they are. Let's say them together. Our values, hold on, they'll come up in just a minute. There, oh, live invitationally, engage consistently, grow spiritually, give generously, and serve sacrificially. All right. so if we are living that way with those, and by the way, if you're interested in knowing more about them, you can go and check out last year. We did a full message on each one of those going deeper into what does that really mean in our lifestyle and and how we carry that out. And so you could look at that. As we start to live those things out though, here's what I believe. We will actually meet our motto. And our motto is this, a little church with a huge impact that's what we want to be. We're not, we're not, we don't feel compelled to, we don't feel like we have to try to create a megachurch. We just want to have the impact of a mega church. Does that make sense? Why not? And you say, well, Cliff, that seems kind of impossible. It does on our own, but it does not with God, because with God, nothing is impossible, right? With, right? Right. Okay, thank you. Okay, yes, good, good, good. We're, we're tracking now. Here we go. Okay. You might have heard the name Hudson Taylor before. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China and was also the founder of the China Inland Missions. Here's what he said. I have found that there are three stages to every work of God. Three stages. First, it is impossible. Then, it's difficult. Then, it's done. Isn't that God's way of doing things? I think uh, that Hudson Tater would agree with this premise. Impossible is possible when God leads the way. Yeah. Would you say that with me? Impossible is possible when God leads the way. Now say it like you mean it. Impossible is possible when God leads the way. If we are going to grow up to be that kind of a church, then we need to pray that God will lead the way. And that he'll show each and every single one of us what our role is in that. So when we conclude today, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to pray for God, to do the impossible in, and, in you and in Arbor, so that we can see what he will really accomplish by making the impossible possible. So there's a story that I want to share with you. It comes from the Old Testament. And I I believe there are some incredible parallels for Arbor and for you in your life as I share this story with you. When, When you see the story, you're going to see seven different principles, principles that God lays out for the Christian life, principles that God wants us to understand, and you'll see one overriding theme. You already know what the overriding theme is. The overriding theme is impossible is possible when God leads the way. That's the overriding theme. Now, this story, which is in the Old Testament, uh, it, it's gonna, we're, we're going to see it, but here's what i got to thinking about. You know, we say Scripture informs Scripture. Now, what that means is this. If the Bible says something over here, this way, then the balance of Scripture should support that should say, yep, that's right, that's right. So I got to thinking about that, and I thought, if, if impossible is possible when God leads the way, and that's very evident in this story that we're going to look at in just a moment, that's the Old Testament. Does the New Testament, does what Jesus said, support that. And so I looked at the New Testament what Jesus said and went, "Oh my goodness, it supports all seven of them." And then I thought, "You know what would be crazy is? We're doing this Romans 8 thing, and what if Romans 8, that single chapter of Romans chapter 8 happened to support all seven of those principles and bam, it does." It does. And you're going to see that in just a minute as we go through that today, okay? So here, the story comes, the Old Testament, first, that's Judges, the book of Judges, and it comes in it, chapters 6 to 8. Now, I'm just going to paraphrase it because of time. We don't have time for me to read the story to you, but I'm going to encourage you to go read it. And the reason is you will come up with much more information than I am, I'm going to give you today if you just read those uh, 6, 7, and 8, those three chapters right there. The story is about a man named Gideon. Gideon. Now, here's the background. The Israelites had begun to worship other gods, and God did not like that. He said he's quit doing that, and he warned them again and again. He sent prophets to them and said, said, hey, you've got to turn back to God, and they ignored him. And so, the beginning of chapter 6, we read that God gave them over to the Midianites. that were their enemies. The Midianites were their enemies for seven years. Now, what that meant is they lost battles they were overrun. They were living in fear. They were hiding out from the Midianites who would attack them and take their food or take their persons or do whatever they wanted to do every chance they got. And it actually said that when the Midianites would come, they would camp in the valley before they began to attack them. And and they were like locusts, it says, in number. You could not even count how many of them were there. And of course, then they would just ransack the Israelites and, and put the land to waste. The Israelites began to hide in caves to live and hide out in the hills to avoid the Midianites because they became, became so afraid of them. The whole, the whole country, it was a scary place to live. You didn't know what to do. They were in what they could see as an impossible situation because there was no way they could overcome these guys, the Midianites. There was far too many of them they could not accomplish the impossible without God. Accepting our inability, you and I accepting our inability and God's ability is really critical. It leads us to our first principle. The first principle is this, impossible is possible when we recognize our need for God. But we've got to recognize our need for God. So I say, well, well, does does the New Testament, does Jesus sayings, Agree with that? And yeah, Jesus said, You must be born again. So obviously, there's a need for God. In Romans chapter 8, it says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, so there's a need for God. And verse 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So there's a need for God. The Spirit needs to help us in our weaknesses. So you can see how critical it is that we understand our need for God. And when we understand our need for God, then we're putting him in his proper place. And when we put him in his proper place, he's leading the way. And impossible is possible when God leads the way. Now, listen, we cannot be a little church with a huge impact if we think we can do it on our own. It isn't going to happen. We need God to intervene and to do things supernaturally. We can't win on our own. But listen, we can't lose if we let God lead the way. We cannot lose. We can be people helping people find and follow Jesus. And impossible becomes possible when God leads the way. Now, for Gideon, our, our, our hero in the story, it was so bad that he found himself hiding out. He was hiding in a wine press, wasn't, wasn't crushing grapes. He was hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, hoping that nobody would see him, hoping that he could hide out from the Midianites. Well, an angel found him there. And an angel comes up to him and greets him, and he, and he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior or man of valor, depending on your translation. And you can imagine Gideon, he's hiding out there, and he must be looking around going, who's he talking about? It can't be me, because I'm hiding out here. I'm scared. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a chicken. And yet he's saying, you're a mighty warrior? Uh, how, how, how can that work? His immediate response to the angel is this. If the Lord is with us, why are we in this terrible situation? Why has God abandoned us? Oh... You ever heard that from people? Yeah, the angel says to him, hmm, the Lord did not abandon Israel. Israel abandoned the Lord. They began to put other things before God. They began to worship other gods. God did not abandon them. In fact, God wants them to come back to him and he wants you, Gideon, to go and take them back, to wipe out the Midianites so that they can come back to the Lord. I find it fascinating that God saw Gideon as he created him to be, not as he was acting. He saw him as he created him to be, mighty warrior, not as he was acting, scaredy-cat, chicken. Oh man, I stop and think about that. I think some of us have been living in a way that is not the way God created us to be. We need to believe God when he tells us what we are and who he created us to be. By the way, did you know God never created a single person negatively? In other words, God's identity for all of us is positive. It is not a negative identity. And he's saying, would you live into the identity and the way I created you? You see, impossible is possible when we accept God's identity for us. And we begin to operate in the identity he's given us. Not the identity the devil has given us. Not the identity your poor self-image has given you. Not the identity someone else is trying to foist upon you and says, yeah, but you are. No, 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 no. Doesn't matter what they say. What does God say? What does God say about you? That's what begins to matter. And Jesus said this about, about to give us some identity. He said, you will be my witnesses. There's witnesses. I call you friends. Now you're a friend. In Romans chapter 8, it says, we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. So we're children and we're heirs. Verse 37 says, we're more than conquerors. So where's the identity God's given us? Oh, you're my witness. You're my friend. You're my child. You're my heir. You're a conqueror. That's how I see you. That's how I see you when you take on me because impossible becomes possible when God leads the way. I was talking with somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago and they told me, they said, you know, God's just been working in me unbelievably, showing me things and he's changing me and and, and I have come to the place where I'm willing to accept that because I really want to be all that God originally created me to be. What a great goal. What a great goal to say, God, I know I got these ideas if I think of how you created me and what you want me to do, but what I really want to be and do is what you want me to. So would you show me what my identity is in you and would you help me begin to put on that identity and get rid of the one that doesn't do me any good, get rid of the one that is negative, get rid of the one that would come from the enemy? Because if you have thoughts in your head about how bad you are, I promise you that's not from God. God. Because God's provided a way for you to be good, no matter what you have done. So God never says, you are, now add terrible, bad person, you are, no, 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 all of those come from the enemy. So you can just say, no, God, I want yours, not the enemy's. God has created you uniquely, uniquely to be his child, to be one in a hundred, to be used the way he wants to use you, to be people. Helping people find and follow Jesus. So the angel told Gideon, look, why don't you save Midian from Israel? And, and Gideon's immediate response is to point out all of his inabilities, right? All the things that he sees about himself, so, oh, 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 I couldn't do that. My tribe is the, is the smallest tribe in all of the tribes of Israel. My clan is the weakest clan, and I'm the weakest person in my clan. you you, you, you got to be thinking of somebody else. you got the wrong guy. the angel said no i don't think i do i think i have the man that god has identified who will follow me who will be what i've called him to be Hmm. i'll go with you the angel said i will give you instructions did you know that god's plans are better than yours (laughs) and god's ways are actually better than yours He's more creative. He's got a bigger vision. He can actually make the impossible possible. Wow. And he says, I want to do that with you. But listen, impossible is possible when we follow God's instructions. God's instructions, not our own way, his instructions. Jesus said, You're going to be witnesses to me, telling people about me everywhere, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. That's people helping people find and follow Jesus. That's what that is. And he says, "These are the things you're going to be doing. These are the instructions I'm giving you as to how you should live." Romans 8:14 says, "For we are all led by the Spirit of God." So there it is in Romans 8. We're led by that means God's going to lead us. He's going to give us instructions. He's going to tell us where to go. But we need to ask the questions, right? When you say, "Lord, what's my part? What's my part in it?" What do you want me to do to be one in a hundred, to be engaged in the mission that you've given me? How can I be part of you doing these victories where you turn the impossible into possible? Are you asking and are you listening? I love the fact that this angel didn't chastise Gideon for asking questions. God doesn't chastise you for asking questions. He says, bring them on. I've got your answers. Sometimes we will ask questions and he'll just say, yeah, well, that's not for you to know. And that's okay too because he's pretty big. So he says, Gideon, Gideon, the angel doesn't chastise Gideon, but he gets him focused on the task God wants him to be about. Gideon became determined to follow God's instructions. Did you hear that? He became determined to follow God's instructions. Now when we do that, when we decide we're going to follow your instructions, God, and God's asking you to do something that seems way over your head that you could not possibly see yourself doing, don't worry, God starts small. He starts small. He wants to check your resolve. He wants to check your obedience, and that's what he did with Gideon. He said, Gideon, before you worry about going in and winning against the Midianites, I got a little task for you first. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tear down the altars of Baal that your dad built. I want you to go and tear them down because those altars to Baal demonstrate an allegiance in the wrong place. Those are idols. So you go tear down those idols because I don't want anything in front of me, Gideon. And right now, those things that your father built are in front of me. They're an allegiance in the wrong place. So you go tear them down. And so Gideon went and did that. He tore them down. uh, He did it it at night because he's afraid of getting caught. And uh, of course it didn't take long. And they found out he did it. And they wanted to kill him for it. So it didn't go down the way he thought it might. No, they wanted to kill him for it. And God kept that from happening. You'll have to look at uh, Judges chapter 6 and see about that. We haven't got time to go into it. But he did what God told him to do. And... uh, And God now is saying, listen, is there an idol in your life? Is there something in your life that you're putting in front of God? God is saying, impossible is possible when we tear down our idols. So he's telling Gideon, tear down the idols. So here's what we have to say. Lord, let's do this right now. Let's just do this right now. Uh, Would you just pray with me? I want you to open your minds and ask God to just speak to you. And this is what we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, right now. I pray that you would impress upon every person's mind who wants to hear from you and that you would show them right now if there is an idol in their life, if there is something that they are putting in front of you, if there is something they are making more important to you, would you bring it to their mind right now? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are able to do that. Thank you that you care enough to show those things and that you keep working with us in those things. In Jesus' name, amen. So listen, if, you, if he brought something to your mind, the first thing that came to your mind that you think, oh, you know what, I'm kind of putting that in front, don't, don't just ignore it and don't go, well, well, maybe I'm not really. No, no, what you need to do is what Gideon did. You need to tear it down. You need to get rid of it. You need to reduce it underneath the importance of God because God says, I don't want any other idols in front of me. I'm your God. I will lead you so that the impossible can become possible when God leads the way. But you've got to let me lead the way and you've got to let me be your God, which means there's nothing in front of me. Tear down the idols, get rid of them. Jesus would say it this way The Father alone has the authority. That makes him the top, the authority. No one below him. And did Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Oh, so he's saying, I've got all the authority. There is nothing over me. And that's the priority that you need to have. So what about Romans 8? Romans 8 says this in uh, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. God's saying, my law is here, and when you start putting your flesh here, it's not submitting to my law. It becomes an idol, and you need to address that and remove that, because impossible will become possible when we let God lead the way. And when we put him first, then he is in charge and he is leading the way. So Gideon now thought, okay, God said, okay, you did good on that, Gideon, now get ready to go get against the Midianites. So, Gideon sent out this uh, message gathering to gather an army. He says, I'm going to fight the Midianites, and anybody who wants to fight, come on out. 32,000 guys show up. 32,000. I got to tell you, they were still ridiculously outnumbered. Ridiculously. They couldn't even count the number of people that were down in that valley of the Midianites and that wanted to go against them. But then they got 32,000, so Gideon's thinking, okay, this is a good start. And then God says, You know what? That's too many. That's too many, Gideon, because if I give you victory with those 32,000, you'll think it's about you, and, and I don't want it to be about you, and so uh, you need to reduce the number. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them that if anyone is fearful or faint-hearted, they can go home. So they told them that. 22,000 guys said, I'm out, I'm out. 32,000 minus 22,000 leaves 10,000. Thank you. It leaves 10,000 left. That's right. And, and so, wow, we're down to 10,000, and now God says, wait a minute, Gideon, that's still too many. Take them down to the brook and watch the way they drink. And all 10,000 of them drank one of two ways. They either got face down in the water on their knees, face down in the water, drinking like this, or they got down like this, and they cupped the water in their hands and brought it up to either lap it or to drink it this way while they're kind of watching Well, 9,700 of them, 97% got down on their knees and put their face into the water. Only 300, only 3% got like this and took the water like that. And God says, Gideon, I want you to take the 300. Send the 9,700 home. They're not needed. Am I hearing right? You want me to take the 300 and let the 90? Yep, 300's enough. 300 300 out of what was 32,000, that's that's not even one in 100. Ah, but it's the ones that God wanted. It's the ones he had in place. Impossible is possible when God leads the way. I, I find it fascinating to me that Gideon did not berate these people. He didn't belittle them. He didn't even try to convince them to stay. He let them go. Hmm. Arbor, listen, God's allowed some people to leave. He's allowed some people to leave. Some because they become afraid. Some because they are uncomfortable. Some because that things didn't go their way or their feelings got hurt or they were faint-hearted. But whatever the reasons... We do not be we do not be little, we do not be angry. You see, it's not about them. It's about what God wants to do with you because you are one in a hundred and he has work for you to do. You're one in a hundred, so be prepared for God to use you. That's our fifth principle is this. Impossible is possible when we let God pick the team. Impossible is possible when God picks the team. Jesus said it this way, you will be my witnesses. He was picking the team. So Jesus, you know, he feeds the 5,000 men, you know, with with the loaves and fishes. He feeds 5,000 men, not including women and children, so we figured there's 12,000 to 20,000 people there, something like that. They all wanna make him king, 12 to 20,000, but Jesus doesn't let them make him king and he doesn't go for the big numbers. He goes this, I'll take 12. I'll take 12 and I'll use them to begin with and we will change the world with the 12 because impossible becomes possible when God leads the way. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined... To be conformed to the image of his son. What's the image of his son? Someone who's helping people find and follow Jesus. Making disciples. That's the image of his son. So Gideon had to now prepare to fight the Midianites. But he also had to fight against his old nature. His old nature of being afraid. So four times God had to encourage him. I mean miraculous encouragement. And the first time was this, when the angel came and talked to me, he said, I, I don't, I'm not sure it's me and I don't think it, and I, and I, and I, and I, but I'll give an offering to God. And so he get, makes this offering of food to the God and the, the angel comes up to it with his staff and just touches it with the end of his staff and boom, it goes on fire. And he goes, okay, that must have been God. And so he begins to move forward with things. But now he's getting a little bit nervous again. And so twice he lays out what we call fleeces. The reason we call them fleeces is he literally laid out a fleece. He took a a wool fleece and he said, okay, God, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If this is really you, God, if this is really you, I'm going to ask you to prove that it's you. I'm going to take this wool fleece. I'm going to put it on the ground. And and I'm going to ask you that in the morning that the, the, the fleece will be totally wet with dew, but the ground will be dry dry around it. If it's really you asking me to do this, God, I need you to do this. Would you do that for me? The next morning he gets up and the fleece is so wet you could wring it out and the ground is totally dry around it. And now he reminds me of me. Boy, that was amazing, God. Uh, But, 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 but. Could you do it again? Could you do it one more time? But this time, but this time, reverse it. Have the fleece be dry and the ground be all wet around it. I have no idea how God did that, but he did. He did. So once again, he encourages Gideon. Now, the night of the battle, Gideon is nervous again. He's getting skittish. And God knows that. And he says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the, into the valley and sneak into the camp of the Midianites and listen to what they're saying. Take your servant, Pura, with you. Isn't it neat how God wants us so much to get encouragement together with each other? That's the picture he's got. So Pura and Gideon sneak down into the camp, and they get next to this tent, and they start listening by the tent, and they hear a guy talking about his dream, and in his dream, he says, he says, man, I had this weird dream. There was this huge, huge barley loaf of bread up in the hills, and all of a sudden, it starts tumbling down the hills, and it comes down and just flattened our tent. What a weird dream. And his friend says this, he goes, oh, oh, that's not just a weird dream. Actually, that represents the sword of Gideon, he said, coming against Midian. Nothing can stand against it. God has given all of Midian into his hands. Wow, would that be crazy? Hiding outside the tent and hearing that? Well, Gideon was really encouraged because he knew then that God was leading the way. You know what? We have to be open to God encouraging us. Impossible is possible when we allow God to encourage us, when we allow him to encourage us, when we ask him to encourage us. So is that New Testament too? Did Jesus do that? Yes, Jesus said, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Always, that means all the time. That means no matter what you're going through. That means no matter what's happening in your life. Jesus is saying, I'm always there. Can you be encouraged by that? In our Romans 8 chapter, this is the encouragement he gives us. It says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow, that's some encouragement. He loves us, He cares for us, He's protecting us. He won't let anyone get between us and Him. Gotta receive that encouragement. A while back, my wife told me that she was, uh, I think she read it somewhere, but I'm gonna tell you how she told us she read it somewhere and said, I wanna own this. And it was a woman author, and here's what she said. I wanna be the kind of woman that when my feet hit the floor in the morning, the devil says, oh crap, she's up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, amen, that is right, man. That is right. What's the enemy saying about you? Not to you. About you. Oh, he'll, to you, he's going to say nothing but derogatory things. About you? Oh, is he afraid? He should be. He should be. Because God's identity for you is something that is truly fearful to him. Arbor, listen, God has put his feelings for you in writing. He asks you to take it up and look at what he's written to you. Where do you find his encouragement? Who can help you get encouragement from God? He promises in writing, he will never leave you or forsake you. He promises in writing how much he loves you and cares for you. Then another question is this, who can you help encourage? See, that's what it means to be people, helping people find and follow Jesus. So Gideon takes his paltry group of 300 men and he divides them into three groups. And and, and the reason is he thought, okay, I'm going to take these guys and I'm going to put them, you see how it worked is the valley was huge out there, but the valley kind of came into hills on three sides of the valley, right? So you get the picture, hill here, hill here, hill here, valley that way. And the Midianites filled the valley going all the way down there. And Gideon takes his 300 guys and he says, here's what I want you to do. Take a trumpet or a shofar, might have looked something like this, a ram's horn, and, and take that. And then they also took a, um, this is, this is uh, it, it would have looked something like this. It wouldn't have looked something like this, but you get the picture. Uh, take a clay jar that you put a torch inside of. So they got the torch inside of the clay jar so that nobody can see the light, right? And now they got their little shofar, their trumpets in one hand and they're creeping uh, all around on the hillsides around. A hundred on one hillside, a hundred on another and a hundred on another. It's pitch dark, it's pitch dark and they're all getting in place and now they're all waiting, waiting for a sign from Gideon. And Gideon says, when I start it, you do the same thing. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, they all broke those clay jars. So you can imagine the sound coming down into the valley of the clay jars breaking. And then the guys started to yell and they were yelling as loud as they could, a sword for the Lord and Gideon, a sword for the Lord and Gideon. And these people are coming out of their tent, sleep deprived and everything else. And then they began to blow their horns. Might have sounded something like this. If you've got tender ears, you can plug them. Oh my goodness, coming out on all three sides and they're down there and what are they? Holy cow, we got armies coming. They think they're armies. They think each one of the torches and each one of the trumpets must be a whole troop coming down on them and they come out of their tents in the pitch dark and anything that moves, they're stabbing it and they're trying to protect themselves and they wind up and start to kill themselves in a big way. (laughs) In a big way. And if you've ever, ever had fear on you so bad, you know, that maybe you've been walking down a dark alley or something, and all of a sudden you're going, (laughs) you're starting to get, did you just feel that fear? That type of fear just swept over them. They started running like crazy and killing each other like crazy. Wow. The route was on for Israel. A hundred and twenty thousand of them died the next day. That's over double The amount of men who died in Vietnam for the United States in 10 years, in one day. One day, 120,000 of them killed. Impossible victory. Yeah, the 300 men couldn't keep up with all the killing there was to be done, so they recruited other ones, and and, uh, the Midianites continued to run. Here's our final principle. Impossible is possible when we fight the battle God's way, not yours, not mine, God's. I don't know about you, but I, I find it so easy to take the battle in my hands, to try to do it my way. God says, no, not your way, you gotta do it my way. Does the New Testament collaborate that? Jesus said this, do not leave Jerusalem, he's talking to his disciples, until the Father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus is saying you need the Holy Spirit in you, he'll direct you, he'll guide you. He's the one that you need to pay attention to, the one that you need to listen to, the one that you need to get your fighting instructions from. And then Romans 8, 31 says, as God is for us, who can be against us? If you have accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, then the Holy Spirit was deposited in you. And the question just is, how much room are you gonna give him? Are you going to let him lead? Or are you gonna decide how you do everything? So we see both from the Old Testament and the New Testament that God's way, which is rarely our way, is always the best way. It really is. Impossible is possible when God leads the way. Impossible is possible when God leads the way. We're asking him to do that, to lead the way. In Luke it says, for nothing will be impossible with God. In and, and Romans 8, 28, and we know all things. How many things? All. all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? People helping people find and follow Jesus. He says, Arbor, that's what I want you to be about. Let me give you fighting instructions. Let me show you how to do this and you can be the little church with a huge impact that God can do. He can have a mega church impact with a little church because God can do that. And he's asking you to be part of that. Today is Response Sunday and that means that we've asked you to respond to God in some way. And, and you'll notice that we have a communion elements on the side of the room there. So uh, in, a, in a minute, the worship team's gonna come up here and, and uh, they're gonna play some songs. And while they're doing that, we just wanna encourage you to be able to go and, and uh, per- participate in having communion, uh, remembering that, that, uh, what it's about. As the juice reminds us of the shed blood of Jesus and that the, the cracker is that his body was broken for you. He's actually praying for you, interceding for you right now. Then you'll notice all these candles up here. So here's what we'd like is, is while that's going on and we're worshiping him and, and just be comfortable doing however he ha- directs you to do that, if you are willing, if you are willing to commit to being the one in a hundred, to commit to saying, Lord, I want to I be a people helping people find and follow Jesus. I want to be engaged in how you want me to do that. Then, then I, we'd like you to come up here and light a candle representing that, okay? Signifying your commitment and, and willingness to be part of God making the impossible possible so he gets glory from it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were very selective in who you chose to help you do impossible things so we're asking to be part of that now we're asking you to help us accomplish that and to show us the things that you would have us do to take up the identity you have given us as only you can and so lord as we as we open our hearts and minds show us the next steps each one of us individually And we are just coveting, we're asking for your protection, your blessing, your oversight on what takes place from here, your church, your people, the ones you've chosen. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name, amen. We just stand, and I'm going to give you a a blessing from the Lord, and then we're going to continue to worship and, and have communion and so forth, okay? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you to give you his peace and his strength so that you can be one in a hundred people helping people find and follow Jesus. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen, amen. Let's worship the Lord.